Hey, everybody, it's Tommy Canale, and welcome back to Before the Lights Podcast, the show that tells you how they made their mark. She's the founder and former president of Orange County District Mail Incorporated, an executive coach that was named the top 100 who's who by women in e-commerce. She's a best-selling author of several books, including her new release, The List Method. She's a speaker, a survivor that not only survives, but thrives. Please welcome to the show, Marnie Spencer Devlin. Marnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tommy. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for this amazing introduction. <laughs> you are welcome. I'm going to do something with you that I've always wanted to do. And I've been doing this now for three years. And that's what I call a backward show. I always do something where it starts and then we work to the present day. But when I was doing research for you, I'm like, this is my opportunity to do this backward show because it works perfectly. So we're going to go this route. I'm going to start with your new book that was released February 14th of this year, The List Method, a guaranteed science-based way for finding the love of your life. You never have to spend another holiday alone. It's a step-by-step way to find love. And I'm going to open up the question to you first, Marty, with this is, what are some of the tried and true strategies? Well, the list method, the book, the list method is called the science based way of finding the love of your life. So it sort of aims to hack the way we go about finding love. And we do that by learning about the intricacies of the mind, how the mind works so that we can remove those internal barriers that we all seem to have for a successful relationship so that we can really actually come up with a list, a detailed list. That's why it's called the list method, a detailed list of your perfect, perfect match, the perfect love of your life. Okay. Let me ask you this then. How does one become aware then of these intrinsic needs with the mind? Well, you have to understand, first of all, how um, I mean, how, how come we keep going out dating and keeping meeting the same weirdos? Well, there's a, there's a reason, there's a scientific reason for that. And it's in the mind to understand how beliefs are. We basically see our own beliefs. That's all we ever do. We see our world through the framework of our beliefs. And there's again, a scientific reason for that is the way the brain works. So if we understand that, Um, We basically everything we experience is always a self-fulfilling prophecy of what we already believe. So life keeps repeating itself over and over again. And we tell ourselves, see, this is how it is. So if you have an idea and you say, "Okay, all the good ones are taken or everybody lies or everybody cheats or whatever your ideas, your barriers are to a good relationship, they will show up for you over and over again. If you believe everybody cheats, you're going to keep meeting cheaters. If you think everybody's crazy and they all act crazy in the end. Well, then that's the kind of people that you will be drawing to you simply because that's the only thing that your brain actually shows you. It's not that's all that's out there, but that's all you're seeing. So being aware of that, becoming aware of how the mind works is a big first step towards not repeating the same mistakes. Okay. Then is it in, from what you know, is it true then? Cause I've heard this many times, the better looking they are, the more crazier they are, or is that just in our minds? 
That's a belief. <laughs> that's that's a, belief. a belief. And if you believe that, that's what's going to show up. You're going to see all these incredible looking women that all turn nuts on you in the end. <laughs> that's a belief. It's not all that's out there. There's very good looking women out there that are incredible partners, but you won't be able to see them if that belief is in your way. So that was a really good question. <laughs> the list method says that you can find a partner in days. Yep. How does this quote unquote, perfect person magically appear in front of someone? Well, it does appear as if it were magic once you've done the work before that. Ah, okay. Um, and the work before that is really not all that, that, that complicated. See, rather than going about dating the way we do now, we go out with, and whether it's online dating or whether you're going out to meet somebody, you're basically picking from the available inventory, whatever is out there and like, all right, that one, maybe whatever. So we pick from the available inventory. And because of the way the brain works, we keep meeting the same weirdos over and over and over again, wondering and thinking eventually that that's all that's out there. So in the way to change that is to, to quit picking from what's out there is to ask to turn it inward and ask yourself, well, what is it that I'm really looking for? What are what are my desires for my whole life, not just a relationship, but for everything to really become aware of who you are. And in fact, if you go to my website, thelistmethod.com slash workbook, you find a workbook that has all the questions to ask yourself to come to sort of remind yourself, what does my ideal life look like? What do I what, how would I want things? So what are my personal standards? What are my values? What are the things that are really important to me? Because when you know that, it's very easy to then extrapolate, well, what would my perfect match look like? What would my perfect partner look like? If you want to ski 365 days out of the year, then you probably don't want to get yourself a stockbroker broker from New York, no matter how good looking she is. <laughs> It has to sort of match up a little bit. And then when you have that list and you have that absolute clarity, and I'm talking, Tommy, I'm talking an exact, I'm talking about a list that if you send me to the airport and you said, she's coming in today, this is the airline, this is the terminal, and you gave me your list, I will be able to find her. That's how exact your list has to be. And when you have that kind of clarity, she'll show up. Very, very quickly. For me, it took two days, two mm. days, because it's the clarity that you put out again with the same mind that only shows you what you believe. When you change that mind, it really seems magical and miraculous how quickly that shows up in your life. Then, Listeners, go to the show notes. I'm going to put a link to that list method website so you can get on there and start making your list. So then, Marnie, let me ask you this then. So good guys don't always finish last then, right? No, they don't. Just guys that know what, know what they want. They finish first. <laughs> Is there research behind why we as humans resist the things we want most? It's it's mostly has to do with with fears. Um, there's a lot. Their survival instinct plays into it sometimes. Sometimes we are intrinsically afraid of emotional pain. Like it's mm. very very difficult to sit down and actually write your list because we anticipate emotional pain from that. And because um, when you're asking for something and you you're actually writing it down and you're saying I this is what I want. This is the the love that I'm looking for. There's there's also the risk that or the fear of of 
saying you're not going to find it or nobody will want you or whatever those fears come up. And so there's all these subconscious fears that we have that keep us from going for the things that we actually want to want to do. And most of it is subconscious. It's the same as the survival instinct. We try and keep ourselves surviving and keep ourselves safe, but that's only subconscious. We don't even know we're doing all these things. How or did all the years you spent teaching leadership to the corporate world prepare you to find the one? Well, what got me into this whole thing was coaching executive women Mm. and then finding that most of the sessions, most of the sessions knew how to shine. They were already successful. Personal lives, their private lives. How come the boyfriend's crazy? Or how come they don't even have one? Or why they're not happy in their personal life? So that's what got me to thinking, hmm, this is really what my clients need from me, more so than career advice. So I started thinking and working that backwards and really essentially applying the same principles that we apply in business. In business, you set yourself goals. You have two-year goals, five-year goals, 10-year goals. In other words, you create clarity. And the more clear and the more uh, focused you are as a business person, the more successful you're going to be. And I thought, well, why not apply that to the personal life too? Because we are so, look at, look at how we go about our personal lives. We, uh, when you, First, choose a career. You think about, okay, what am I interested in? What would I like to do for the rest of my life? So you really put some thought into that. Before you start a business, there's viability studies and objectives and mission statements and vision statements. Before you invest time, one into that venture. But when it comes to the most important relationship of our lives, the person that you're going to spend a significant amount of your time here on earth, plus most of your money on, that we leave it completely up to chance, just absolutely willy nilly. We'll just, Oh, you look good. I'll meet you in a bar. And then we're really genuinely surprised when it doesn't work. When why 50% of the marriages go kaploi and why even the ones that exist seem to be hard work. The only hard work when you're not with the right person, you're not the perfect person with. So it's that clarity that brings about the results, which is what I simply took from business and brought over into this, into this realm. And it was a language that my clients were speaking. And so it it's it was having really wonderful results. And I applied it to my own life because I didn't have anyone in my life at that point. And uh, made that whole list, applied that whole thinking, did some research. Well, like you were saying, why do we do the things we do? What What's driving that? And found that there's a lot of neuroscience in it. There's a lot of this just the way the brain works. So in order to not fall prey to that, you have to understand how it works. And all that together brought us the list method. And I'll tell you, it works like a charm. <laughs> I'm going to come back to the list method. Now I want to back up a little bit and let my listeners know about who you are, because it's remarkable for me of where you're at from where you've come from. You've been open about being molested by your brother. You were raped twice at the ages of 12 and 14, forcibly addicted to heroin for 10 years by your husband after you were a professional model at the age of 17. You became a prostitute, a criminal. You were homeless and ended up in a state prison. Where I, The question I have of all of that, Marnie, is what were your feelings like going to a state prison after all that had happened in your life? 
did I leave anything out? I think I did it. <laughs> and, you know, and that is a good question. I tell you when, when that happened, um, I was absolutely terrified. Mm. I was so terrified of going to prison. Um, I still remember walking through the gates and looked down and my heart was beating so hard that my t-shirt, you could see my heartbeat on my t-shirt. It was moving with my heartbeat. I was so terrified and so scared. But then I thought, hmm, here I am. This is reality. There's no way out but through. So what can I do to make the very the best out of this situation. And I have to back up a little bit, as you, you mentioned all the horrible things that had, that I'd been, and, and I was actually, I was a criminal and a prostitute and I was actually homeless for a while at home, the, like the homeless people that you see out there in the street. And I tell you, that is an ugly, ugly world. It is cold and it is dirty and it's scary. And, and it was so dark around me that, that I, I all of a sudden I just thought, you know what? I may be a wretch. I may have done everything wrong in my life, but this I don't deserve. I deserve better than this. And that was my only revelation that God knows it wasn't Einsteinian wisdom that came down on me. I just thought I deserve better than this. I'm done with this. And then I actually turned myself into the police oh. and I revoked whatever bails I had out there and said, that's it. I'm starting now. And just from that, as little as it was, it was a change in trajectory, you know, and, and when you first change tra tra trajectories, it's a difficult word. It, it looks like it's not much, but as you go on it, eventually those two paths are very, very far away from each other. So it started very small, but that change allowed me then to be in prison and say, hmm, you know what? I can look at this differently. It's sort of like military. People choose that on their own. And I, for better or for worse, have taken care of. I have a roof over my head. I don't have to worry about rent. I can work on myself. And I worked on myself physically. I worked on myself emotionally, mentally. And by the time I got out, I was a completely new person. It all started from that little small change. What's the reason I wrote the book is because I really, there's so many people that have, maybe not all the things that I went through, but they've went through one or so, you know, women, God forbid, got raped. Uh, so many children are molested and, and it can stop you in your tracks. And you think this is all I'm ever going to be. This defines me now. And there's nothing beyond that. And the reason I wrote the book is I wanted people to see there is something beyond that. You too can move through this and see maybe even the positive in it, because every one of those stones around your neck can become a stepping stone and make you better than you could have otherwise been. And it changed my life completely. Make a difference with free as a tea. Did you know one in five Americans will experience a mental health challenge every year? Free as a Tea is giving the gift of good. For every t-shirt purchased, $5 will be donated to the Mental Health Coalition to support mental health resources for the millions of people who need them. Plus, for every purchase, one shirt is donated to someone in need. Free your mind and shop with a cause. Buy one, give one for $45 and learn more about us and our mission at freeasatea.com or click the link in the show notes. Make a difference, one tea at a time. Happy tea time. How did all that in your past then not jade you from true love? Well, there was, I had, there, there were a lot of years in between that because 
I mean, it all started, my, my parents, um, God knows they did the very best they could, but they just, they had their own issues to deal with. And I never truly felt loved. I wasn't wanted. And I felt, felt that, that I wasn't wanted that I, in other words, that I wasn't worth loving. I felt that. And that sort of carried through, I think that was very largely responsible for all these horrible things happening to me for the way I ended up. And um, I still had a hard time, even though I became very successful after I got out of prison, I started a business, started a marketing company, and I turned it into a multi-million dollar um, enterprise at 70 employees. I had a home overlooking the ocean in, in Laguna Beach, California. And this is, but I still didn't so much feel worth loving. And that sort of hung on to me for a long, long time. Then how did you handle all that emotional pain that you dealt with with your whole life to get where you are today? Because that's remarkable. Yeah, uh, of course, it, it, fate once again stepped in because here I'm so successful and I'm a multimillionaire and I wasn't happy, strangely enough. I was on antidepressants and I couldn't figure out why am I still unhappy? What more do you want? And I couldn't figure it out. And then fate stepped in one more time and I got sick. And eventually they tell me that I have a year to live. And that puts a different perspective on everything. All of a sudden, the money doesn't mean that much. The success doesn't mean that much. And you really ask yourself, I asked myself, well, what was this all for? Was I just a cosmic joke? Or did I have a reason for being here? Did I have a purpose for being here that I somehow missed? And what is going on? But I, I'm, I'm wrestling with this thought that I'm not going to be here by Christmas, which is what they tell me. So it really, it, things get really real. And I thought, you know what? The little bit of time I have left, I'm going to do what brings me joy. And I started writing. I was before that. I never wrote. I wrote my first book. I became an artist. I did all the things that I truly enjoyed. And guess what? All of a sudden I got happy. I felt fulfilled here. I'm staring death in the face, but now I'm happy, which of course I'm thinking, good Lord, what is wrong with you woman? Now you're happy. <laughs> but that's what it took is that being authentic, being who I really am, which is an artist and it's a writer. And those are the things that do well. And those are the things that bring me joy. The money didn't mean that much to me. I used to, when I was so rich, I used to go to my computer and look at my net worth, look at the numbers, because I thought, well, maybe that would make me feel a little better. You know, I was like, what is wrong with you? Those are big numbers. And it meant nothing to me, but being an artist and being a writer and then becoming a coach. Oh my God, it felt so fulfilling and felt so wonderful. And um, then long story short, I did not die. Clearly, um, they found a cure for what was wrong with me, but I got to keep that revelation. And I also found that if you truly do what you love, the money comes anyway. Mm -hmm. Don't have to chase after the money and money comes. I'm totally fine today. I'm not a multi multi-millionaire, but my life is just as good today as it was then, except now I'm happy. And some of the research that I did, I saw you do a presentation and you said something in there that opened my eyes big time. When you said that you have a pacemaker, which was due to a broken heart. Yeah. I always think that whatever diseases sort of are, there's always an energy that first starts, you know, everything starts with an idea. Everything starts with an energy and then it becomes something physical. And I think when people have a heart problem, they basically have a broken heart. And, um, 
And I do think I had a broken heart, sort of. Now, mine had something to do with medication that they gave me and all that. But you know what? It still ends up carrying through. I think I had a broken heart. I don't have a broken heart anymore. Mm-hmm. But I had that then. But once they put a pacemaker in, they don't take it back out. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Going back to the book, The List Method, and all the research you did, how powerful is sex to humans? I think it's it's essential. I think it is. It is. Um, I mean, there's a there's a spiritual practice where they say that an orgasm is a moment of enlightenment, of pure enlightenment, and it's it's basically heaven. It's a it's a brief experience of heaven. I think it's a way to touch the face of God. I do think it's it's very very important. So it's very very important in a good relationship. It is definitely something you have to spend time and think about what type. Do you what type of sex? What does what does intimacy mean to you? What does a relationship dynamic mean to you? That is a, a super important part of life, and something that you have to spend time thinking about before you choose your your perfect partner. This isn't your only book. You also have Crawling into the Light, Phoenix, and the Iceberg Principle, which is outlining philosophies that make you strategize so transformational and empowering. And I'd like for you to talk about this book, and I've heard you talk about the 4% of the ice and how it melts. And I'd like you to explain that to my listeners, because I think they're in for a a good treat here. (laughs) Well, thanks so much. Yeah, that actually, that came to me after I I wrote my first book. um, And it sort of has to do with this authenticity. So what the iceberg principle basically is, is when you're looking at an iceberg, or for that matter, just simply an ice cube floating in your in your water glass, you will see that only a tiny little bit shows on the surface. Only 4% show on the surface and 96% remains submerged. So basically invisible. That's what makes icebergs so dangerous because you, you don't see very much of what's really down there. And I think to me, that's exactly the same way that human beings are. Um, what shows on the surface, what's sitting in your chair right now, Tommy, is 4% of who Tommy is. And it shows me on the surface, it shows me what you look like, shows me how tall you are, shows me, you know, things about your background, because just from the way you look, but it doesn't show me what you're passionate about. It doesn't show me what really drives you, the things that really excite you, the, the, all those things are intangible. They're invisible. And, and I was, I used to always say, you know, God, if you had, God forbid, a horrible accident tomorrow and you'd lose an arm, people would always say, oh, there goes Tommy, he lost an arm. But the things that drive you, the things you're passionate about, all those intangibles about you, your sole purpose, if you wish, will be untouched because that 96%, that intangible part of you is untouchable. And I think we would do well to realize that that is where our true purpose lies and and really let us drive the things that bring you joy, the things that you're good at. Those are the things you're built to do. Do more of that. And when you express that stuff from the 96% in your 4%, in other words, when the things you love find expression in your life, that's when you become a hundred percent. That's when you become whole and full and fulfilled. And that was sort of the revelation that I had in that year when I was thought I was dying because I realized that that's the only thing that counts in life is that what Mm. brings you joy and let that find expression in your life. Listeners go to Marnie Spencer Devlin.com. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. You can get your hands on these other books that she's written. I love this statement. 
Can you explain trading steel handcuffs for gold handcuffs? Well, yeah. I mean, that was the thing when I was so wealthy and I was so sitting in my mansion overlooking the ocean with the ocean sparkling behind it. And I have the audacity to be unhappy. And I couldn't figure out what is going on. And I realized that I really had gone from one prison to another. I mean, I was was in an actual prison and I had they put steel handcuffs on me. And now I live in this mansion. But when you're that when you're that when you're that successful and you make that much money, it takes a lot to keep it going. And I was really good at what I was doing. And that's that's almost bad because there's an <laughs> ego that comes from that where you just go. It's like, yeah, it's hard, but I'm doing it. I'm winning. And and there's. It just, it's this treadmill. If you're like this hamster and you think you're being successful, but in all reality, you just keep chasing and keep chasing for that. And then that's why they're called golden handcuffs because they were gold. They was all, everything was gold, but I was still in prison. I was working like a dog. <laughs> you had mentioned already once that um, you've got into being an artist and Marnie Spencer Devlin, art.com. Oh, thank you. Yes. I'd like to know more about your passion for art, where it came from and the and the type of art that you do. Well, I've always been an artist. I didn't give myself the the respect to call myself that. But even as a kid, I, I used to be really good at portraiture. And when I first got into going to art and saying, this is what I'm going to do. I actually started in portraiture. Now I'm really tall. I'm a little larger than life. So my portraiture were also very, very tall. And guess what? It immediately found an, an audience and it found a following to the point where I was actually invited to contribute um, some of my work to um to a, a fundraiser in South Africa. And I got to go to that fundraiser in South Africa and deliver my, my portraits that I got. And they gave me the honor of, I got to meet Nelson Mandela. Oh, wow. My highlights of my life. And I wish I could tell you, I was so gracious. And this, oh, Mr. Mandela. Oh no. I bawled my eyes out. I was sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. <laughs> He is such a large presence and he's a very tall man. And, and it was just so overwhelming to meet someone of that stature. It was great. But that's one thing that my art got me. But then when I came back home, I realized that I really didn't like the exactingness of portraiture. So I switched to uh, contemporary um, contemporary art, abstract art. And the one thing that I do very different, my, my stuff is very large scale. And it's very high. It's almost sculpted. I actually paint with plaster. So it's very, very move. There's a lot of movement in it. And the, the pieces have a presence in the room because they're so three-dimensional. And that's my particular thing is, is high texture, almost sculpted art, uh, but large scale on a large scale. That's what excites me. It is super cool. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. I want to end oh, with this. So much. I appreciate that. You bet. I want to end with this. Tell my listeners one thing that we may not have spoken about, about the new book, The List Method, that you want them to know. I want them to realize that no matter what you tell yourself, everybody wants to love and be loved. And it is just simply part of who we are. And it is so well worth pursuing go to go to my website go to download the workbook and do the work because it's it's not that much work but it's 
what's what you're getting out of it. When you find your perfect match, when you find the love of your life, you show up differently in the world. You're more competent. You're more confident. You're just more um, capable and you're really able to live your best life just because you have your best friend, your cheering section, your perfect mate with you all the time. When you're happy all the time, it colors the way you see everything. Mm-hmm. It is so well worth it to, to find God and find your perfect match. So I, I beseech you, find your perfect match. Go do the work and then live the rest of your life with your best life. And then send Marnie to the airport and she'll find the person that you're looking for. <laughs> I'll go find them for you. <laughs> Marnie, thanks for taking some time and coming on the show and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly a pleasure. Thanks very much, Tommy. You are welcome. Listeners, go to the show notes and get linked up with Marnie. Also in the show notes is going to be a link to the podcast docu-series I did with filmmaker Antonino D'Ambrosio in support of the Native American rights of the harsh and unfair treatment of the indigenous community. It's entitled A Heartbeat and a Guitar, Johnny Cash, and the Making of Bitter Tears. That's going to do it for this episode of Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, everybody, a salute, a chin-chin. <laughs>